Welcome to another Bible hack. This one is going to be very interesting again. All right, let's get it. So, as I promised, welcome to this Bible hack. My name is Greg. I'm your Bible hacker for today. <laughs> um, and today we're going to touch on another very, very important topic. You've probably picked up a little bit of a trend so far where I like to um, leverage both the Old and the New Testament. Today's going to be no um, you know, exception from that. Um, and there's a reason for this. And the reason is because I believe the Bible, and most scholars, all scholars, all reputable scholars agree with this, all reputable biblical scholars agree with this, whether they're Christian or not. The Bible tells one story straight through. It's not about me and you. It's not about, it is about God. It is God revealing himself to the world. Like that's what the Bible is about. And it is important to get the nuance from old to new. And when you pay attention to the scripture well, you see certain terms and ideas and concepts recurring Old Testament to New Testament. Matter of fact, Jesus in the New Testament spoke, used, leveraged, quoted the Old Testament a lot. It's the only Bible they had. They, there was no New Testament yet. So for this reason, I stress that if you ever hear teachers talking about, oh, we can you know, disconnect from the, the Old Testament, it's not important, it's out of date, it's old, it's old-fashioned, it's a wrong principle. To fully grasp the Bible and what it's about, you need Old and New Testament. Today's topic is going to be a phenomenal example of that. Today, we're going to talk about the Tower of Babel. Babel, Babel, Babylon. What is it? What's the point of it? And why is it important? And I'll give you a spoiler warning right now at the top. Tower of Babel is critically important. Happens to also be greatly misunderstood, but we'll deal with that as we get into the teaching. But it is critically important, not just to understand the full narrative, the meta-narrative, the, the, the ongoing story through the whole Bible, but also, and this is key, to understand our mission as well as Jesus's mission. Like, what did Jesus come to earth to do? It's related to the Tower of Babel. And what is our mission? It's very much like us as the church. It's very much related to the Tower of Babel. So let's dive in and we're going to take a look. Other thing that we're going to touch in this, I'm going to purposefully, I've gotten a lot of questions. And again, like, subscribe, hit the thumbs up button, you know, on the YouTube. It's not a financial thing. We don't make money off of this. You, you need millions of viewers and stuff to really make money off of YouTube, and that's not our goal. But hitting thumbs up uh, on YouTube as well as subscribing and sharing this helps YouTube see, hey, people are watching this. So YouTube starts pushing it out and suggesting it to people, you know, that fit the profile of what it works. So it helps for you to get the message, help get the message out by hitting like and hitting subscribe. So do that now, please. Um, but thanks for your questions. Thanks for your comments. Keep doing that down below so that we can make content that's relevant to what you want to do. And so we can engage, hit us up on our Facebook page at Bible Hacking, our IG page at Bible Hacking, and of course here on YouTube because um, we can engage there. We post nice little memes, um, you know, all biblically based, um, you know, stuff like that. So go there and get that content.
Um, links will be down in the description. In addition to that, um, because of your comments and your questions, we're going to take our time this session and we're going to demonstrate and show you like how do these tools you see me using, how do they work, how can you get access to them, are there free versions of the tools? Yes, there are. I'm going to start, you know, taking my time and showing you that a bit more. I've gotten tons of questions. People, hey, can you just show me? And we've done that. We've done video walkthroughs, you know, like one-on-one, -on -one, like a, a, a call, a YouTube, a Facebook chat call or whatever, to show people, hey, this is how you do the search. This is how the tool works. But uh, I'll start incorporating that into the video some more. But our goal is to help make better disciples, both for myself as well as for you guys. So, you know, if being able, getting access to the tools to help you study the Bible better will undoubtedly make you a better um, disciple. So that's why we're going to do that. So on that note, let's dive straight in. What is the Tower of Babel? I'll see you inside the Bible hack. Thank you. back to the Bible hack, like I said, Tower of Babel, and we're going to show you how the tools work. So let's dive straight in. Um, first of all, let me pop this up. Boom. All right. So right off the top, um, this is Logos. Um, this is not a free app, but we'll drop a link in the bottom where you can get a uh, close to, you can get a free version of it with limited books. Logos is like a, a Bible library. So you can have a number of books in here. Um, I have a ton of Bibles, I have commentaries, I have biblical dictionaries, etc. I'll give you a link to where you can get a, Lexum, a Bible, or a good one, a good translation, um, as well as a Lexham Biblical Dictionary, which is more like an encyclopedia. So that'll get you started. And then you can get something like the IVP commentary for like $30 or something like that. So for less than $50, you can get in, not a monthly, like less than $50 point blank period. You can get into Lagos and you'll be able to do all this kind of stuff right off the cuff. Um, as a matter of fact, there's even a discount code I'll add in the link below also. So, you know, jump on that if you like Lagos. The, the, understand though, that is a small subsection of what you're seeing me use. So you, you, I'll refer to that commentary, but there's other commentaries you can get as well. Um, so, you know, and there's other, like if you decide, hey, it comes with the Lexham English Bible, you also want the Net Bible, um, New English Translation, New English Translation in Lagos costs about $10 or something like that. So I'll tell you as a free warning, fair warning, it can add up quickly. Like there's a ton of books that they'll say, hey, here's another interesting book. Um, it'll give you links and it'll say, hey, this content you're looking for is inside this book. There's maps, there's um, like tons of stuff. So if you don't have good self-control, be like be cautious with Logos. You can end up spending tons and tons of money. That being said, they have great payment plans as well where you can like subscribe much like Microsoft Office and pay a monthly fee. Back to um, the lesson for today, which is um, Tower of Babel. Let's, of course, start with the Old Testament. <clears throat> First and foremost, what is the Tower of Babel all about? We've probably 
You've probably heard, as a matter of fact, let me go back here right quick. You've probably heard, you know, Sunday school, if you were a Sunday school um, visitor, and sorry for the whispering sound of, if you can hear it, of water outside, um, some, some whispering water. Um, nonetheless, you've probably heard the Tower of Babel story where they were building this tower to try to get to the heavens, and, you know, God came and stopped them from building the tower. Wrong. That's not what the Tower of Babel was about at all. Um, you get that type of um, misunderstanding by not studying the text properly. So we'll jump straight into the text. So in terms of jumping into the text, to understand the Tower of Babel, Tower of Babel falls in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And the first 11 chapters of Genesis is absolutely critical to understanding the Bible. It is the preface for the rest of the Bible, like literally from Genesis, and scholars agree on this, from Genesis 1 to 11 is the preface, the, the setup, the intro to the Bible, and then from 12 to the end of Revelations, that's the rest of the Bible. It, the focus changes in Genesis chapter 12. So for that point, uh, at that point, let's jump in and look at the Tower of Babel. To grasp the Tower of Babel, like I said, you got to go back to the covenant made with Noah. So, <clears throat> Genesis chapter one, um, we got, you know, creation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we got Genesis chapter two, man and woman were created. Man and woman were given the task or the, the charge. Hey, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Um, G Genesis three, they fell. They, you know, they got deceived and they, you know, they sinned. Well, they didn't use the word sin in Genesis three, but nonetheless, they fell. They, they missed God's standard. Um, Genesis four, we get some more genealogies. We see about Cain's, you know, Cain is where they first use the term sin and he killed his brother um, and on and on and on. Genesis six, um, you know, comes the, the a spiritual rebellion and angels come down, mate with um, women and make giants. And God says, this is going too far. You're messing up the whole works. We're going to clean the earth off. Genesis nine, um, the flood is done. So we're at Genesis nine. What does God tell <clears throat> the humans as soon as the flood is done? Then, and we see that in chapter nine, verse one, then God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So this charge is the same charge that was given in Genesis two, when man was created. So we see God's purpose or plan hasn't changed. It's still be fruitful and multiply. So on that note, Let's jump forward and let's go to the actual Tower of Babel. Uh, actually, no, before we get into the Tower of Babel, I'll give you something that is wildly boring to most, but I'll show you the importance of it. We're just going to skim over it. It's called the Table of Nations. So Genesis chapter 9 is, you know, Noah's Ark is done. The flood, is, flood subsides. God says, this is your task. Go out and do this. Genesis 10, we get a listing of this is an account of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. And what I want you to notice, and this is all we're going to touch on, as they're listing these sons, they're listing the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands. And then they list some, some people again, and according to their families, by their nations. Then they list the sons of Ham, and the sons of Ham were so-and-so-and-so, and the primary regions of his kingdom were Babel, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, and that is the, the and again, later on, and the borders of Canaan extended from. So we're seeing a tie-in from 
be fruitful and multiply. Adam, um, Ham, uh, sorry, Noah had some sons. These are the kids of the sons. And these are the nations that are tied to those sons. So we have what's called a table of nations here. And this is the nations that they knew existed at that time. And they're explaining you where they came from. That's all we're going to say about that. It's going to come back up. So, okay, that's the table of nations. So nine is Noah's Ark. Ending table of nations is 10. And then in 11, we get to the Tower of Babel. And then in 11, verse 1, um, the whole earth had a common language and a common vocabulary. And when the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. See the country um, delineations there. And they came and said to one another, come, let's make bricks and let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens so that we can, and I'll highlight it here, make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered across the face of the entire earth. That is the purpose of the Tower of Babel. So you should already see a very strong parallel. Chapter 9, we have a Noah, and then God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Not a Two chapters later, let's not be scattered, the humans are saying, across the face of the entire earth. Let's make a name for ourselves. So there's already a rebellion happening here in terms of what the humans are doing. They were told, replenish the earth, fill and spread. They are saying here, nope, we're going to hang out. The other thing I want you to understand, and I'm going to shift screens for a minute. Next thing I want you to understand, what is this concept of a tower reaching to the heavens? Important to grasp this, and this is what you call the ancient Near Eastern context. And this speaks to why we see pyramids pretty much across the globe. Why is that? It's because in this ancient Near Eastern context, so, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years before Christ's birth, their understanding was we humans don't, we can't get up into the mountains. We look up into the mountains and it looks like there's clouds on top of the mountains, snow-capped mountains in some cases. Mount Hermon is a good example of that. It's snow-capped almost all year round. That They can't get up there. They don't have air tanks. They don't have ropes. They don't have climbing gear, etc. So they consider that out of reach. So that must be where the gods live. So even Eden in Ezekiel and further on in the Old Testament, Eden is referred to as the mountain of God. Why? Because that's where God lived. We, we, we have in the, the image of God, link will be up here, image of God video, we talk about you know, the creation process a little bit. And you understand there that the, the, the idea of God creating Adam and Eve was to put them in the garden to live with him in the middle of his divine counsel. That's why there were other spiritual beings walking around like the snake or the Nakash that deceived them. Like I said, link up, up top for um, the Image of God video, but let's focus on this for a minute. So, ancient Near Easters believed towers or mountains were where God lived up in the top of the mountain because it was inaccessible to them. This is why they would be seen building these things that look like mountains. So it's nothing to do with ancient aliens and triangles. That's why you see these 
pyramids or ziggurats, which is the official technical term for it. You see them in the Middle East. You see them in Egypt, North Africa. You see them in, in, the, in the Asia, you know, China, Japan, etc. But you also see them in Mesoamerica. Like you see the same mountainous type shape in Mexico. My wife and I, we walked up one of them. Like it's very obvious these people thought they were building a mountain. So that's what they were doing here. And that's why they said, uh, let's build, and let's go back to the text now. Let's build a tower with its top to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. What they believed was if we build this tower, not getting into heaven, they, they weren't trying to get them into heaven. They were trying to get the God to be localized there. So it's a, it's a controlling aspect. They believed that if they would build this tower, God would come down, their God, and they would be able to control the God by doing sacrifices and doing stuff for him. And that's why all of those civilizations built towers that we still find today. Mounds, sometimes they're called as well. So that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to constrain God and say, hey, God, Yahweh, come down here. We'll cut it there. That was the end of part one. Stay tuned for the next piece where we'll start, where we'll continue following the Tower of Babel thread throughout the rest of the Old Testament, and we'll even start getting into the New Testament. See you back soon. Thank you.